Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Washington Today on C-SPAN Radio for Tuesday, January 24th, 2023. A lawyer for former Vice President Mike Pence says he discovered about a dozen documents marked classified at Mike Pence's home in Indiana last week and turned the documents over to the FBI. Senate Judiciary Committee holding hearing on the practices of Ticketmaster following the online crash in November when fans of Taylor Swift tried to buy tickets. Some of the issues explored today, the role of scalpers using automated bots to buy up a lot of tickets to turn a profit and a proposal to prohibit ticket buyers from reselling them. President Joe Biden hosting House and Senate Democratic leaders discussing the legislative agenda, including raising the debt ceiling, which the Treasury Department says must be done by June to avoid the U.S. defaulting on the debt for the first time ever, and House Republicans demanding that spending cuts go along with any debt limit increase. President Biden saying today, I have no intention of letting the Republicans wreck our economy. Later, the Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell saying he does not plan to take a prominent role in any debt ceiling negotiations and will leave it up to President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to work something out. And in Russia's war with Ukraine, the U.S. reportedly about to announce it is sending Ukraine its main battle tank, the Abrams, in part to encourage Germany to send Ukraine its primary battle tank, the Leopard. From the Washington Post, a lawyer for former Vice President Mike Pence, a potential 2024 presidential candidate, found what they called a small number of documents bearing classified markings during a search of Mike Pence's Indiana home, according to letters to the National Archives. Gregory F. Jacob, a designated representative for Mike Pence's vice presidential records, said the FBI collected the classified documents from the Mike Pence home on January 19th. Gregory Jacob noted he would deliver the boxes in which those documents were found, along with other vice presidential papers, to the National Archives on January 23rd. That from the Washington Post. Attorney General Merrick Garland was asked about it today by a reporter. Our reporting on uh, the recovery of the documents at Mr. Pence's residence seems to indicate that the Department of Justice was involved at the very uh, start. Um, Can you give us a sense as to whether or not um, this uh, incident is being preliminarily investigated with an eye towards appointing a special counsel or assigning this to an existing special counsel? And as a follow-up question, just in the broader sense, you do weigh in on issues of policy. In the newspaper business, we say that one episode is a, is a, is a story and three is a trend. Um, do you think there needs to be a policy change, either in the regulatory sphere or in a statutory sphere, to address what, what seems to be this difficulty of presidents and vice presidents retaining classified material? Well, as you expect, I'm afraid my answer is going to have to be that I'm unable to comment on this. Attorney General Merrick Garland answering a question about this at a news conference that was primarily on a different subject. Former Vice President Mike Pence was asked in August if he possessed any classified information after leaving office. He told the Associated Press then, no, not to my knowledge. More from the Washington Post article today, the discovery of Mike 
at Mike Pence's home comes as President Biden has faced criticism over classified documents found at his home in Wilmington, Delaware, and a separate office, though the president has cooperated with the authorities. Last August, the FBI conducted a search of former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate and found hundreds of classified documents. Former President Trump posting on his social media platform, Truth Social Today, Mike Pence is an innocent man. He never did anything knowingly dishonest in his life. Leave him alone. Now to the Ticketmaster hearing. An article at USA Today begins. Uh, Taylor Swift took center stage during the Senate's Tuesday hearing, which examined the lack of competition within the ticketing industry and grill Ticketmaster executives following the company's mishandling of the Music Superstars concert tickets. Swift fans were furious after Ticketmaster canceled its November general public ticket sale for the Music Star's highly anticipated new tour. Several days of turbulence during the verified fan pre-sale resulted in hundreds of thousands of snub fans who never got tickets. One of the witnesses at the Central Judiciary Committee hearing today was Joe Berktold, the president and CFO of Live Nation Entertainment, Live Nation, which produces concerts and shows, merged with Ticketmaster a dozen years ago. Joe Burke told blamed what he called industrial-scale ticket scalping using bots, those computers running software that simulates human activity. There are problems in the ticketing industry, problems we believe can and should be addressed through legislation. Many are the direct result of industrial-scale ticket scalping that goes on today. A $5 billion industry in concerts alone in the United States, fueled by practices that run counter to the interests of artists and their fans. The recent on-sale experience with Taylor Swift, one of the world's most popular artists, has highlighted the need to address these these issues urgently. We knew bots would attack that on-sale and planned accordingly. We were then hit with three times the amount of bot traffic that we'd ever experienced. And for the first time in 400 verified fan on sales, they came after our verified fan password servers as well. While the bots failed to penetrate our systems or acquire any tickets, the attack requires to slow down and even pause our sales. This is what led to a terrible consumer experience, which we deeply regret. We apologize to the fans. We apologize to Ms. Swift. We need to do better, and we will do better. Ticketmaster learned valuable lessons from this on sale. In hindsight, there are several things we could have done better. And let me be clear that Ticketmaster accepts its responsibility as being the first line of defense against bots in our industry. It's an ever-escalating arms race. But in this forum where we're here to discuss public policy, we also need to recognize how industrial scalpers using bots and cyber attacks to unfairly gain tickets has contributed to this awful experience. There are many things we can and should accomplish together. We should enlarge the scope of the Bots Act and increase enforcement. We should enact categorical prohibitions on fraudulent ticket practices, including deceptive URLs and offering for sale tickets before they're on sale in the primary. We should mandate all-in pricing so that fans see the full cost of their tickets from the start. We share your goal of making live entertainment industry better for artists, teams, and fans alike, and it's in that spirit that I sit before you today to work with you to make the fan experience better. Joe Berktold is Live Nation Entertainment President and CFO testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Associated Press writes that Ticketmaster is the world's largest ticket seller, processing 500 million tickets each year in more than 30 countries. 
And around 70% of tickets for major concert venues in the U.S. are sold through Ticketmaster, according to data in a federal lawsuit filed by consumers last year. Also, this from the AP Story Center, Amy Klobuchar, a Democrat from Minnesota, saying today at the hearing that she recalled piling into a friend's car in high school to go to concerts by Led Zeppelin, The Cars, and Aerosmith, and that these days, she said, ticket prices and fees have gotten so high that shows are too expensive for many fans. She said ticket fees now average 27% of the ticket cost and can climb as high as 75%, and that Joe Burke told, insisted the Ticketmaster doesn't set ticket prices or service fees or decide how many tickets will go on sale. The service fees are set by venues. Back to the hearing, Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat from Connecticut, questioning Joe Burke told, saying that he managed to bring together Democrats and Republicans in anger on this issue. Ticketmaster had the temerity to imply that the debacle involved in pre-ticket sales was Taylor Swift's fault because she was failing to do too many concerts. And may I suggest respectfully that Ticketmaster ought to look in the mirror and say, I'm the problem. It's me. (laughs) And the reason is quite simply that you are the ones ultimately responsible for the astronomically rising prices, the exorbitant hidden fees, the sold out shows, the bots and scalpers. We just had an exchange with Senator Blackburn. You've reported once over this entire history, once an instance involving bots. I agree with Senator Blackburn that there needs to be stronger enforcement by the FTC. It has taken almost no action against the bots, despite our support for the Bots Act. And that is the reason why I am supporting legislation, talking about remedies, legislation called the Boss Act, which would require transparency, accountability for hidden fees, for bots. Will you support the bot? Boss Act. Uh, Senator, we absolutely agree there are a lot of problems in this industry, and as the leading player, we have an obligation to do better. Uh, if Will I've, you support the Boss Act? I don't know all of the specific elements. Um, I know there are many elements that we agree upon. I believe there are some issues that we have some differing views, and uh, we've offered to discuss those. We'd like to continue to discuss those going forward. Will you support legislation to require complete transparency all in to provide stronger enforcement powers against bots and scalpers? We absolutely support all-in pricing. We absolutely support greater enforcement, greater penalties, and expansion of the prohibition on bots. You know, uh, The FTC has failed in some of its enforcement duties, but that is because Live Nation, Ticketmaster, have failed to do the reporting that's required to enable enforcement. And I think that really betrays the contention that you have been active against it. And I think that consumers and artists and venues are all fed up 
with the system that exists right now. Uh, and I think to the people who are fed up, I would say continue your criticism. If you're angry and frustrated, uh, you have the power to demand action, and we should act with new legislation. Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat from Connecticut, questioning Joe Berktold, Live Nation Entertainment President and CEO at today's Senate Judiciary Committee hearing. This from TheHill.com. The Department of Justice approved the Live Nation Ticketmaster merger in 2010, but made the company sign a consent decree promising they wouldn't retaliate against venues that didn't use Ticketmaster for ticketing. Nearly a decade after the decree was signed, the DOJ found repeated violations alleging that venues have come to expect that refusing to contract with Ticketmaster will result in the venue receiving fewer Live Nation concerts or none at all. Instead of taking the company to court, the DOJ in 2020 strengthened the terms and extended the decree five years. Senators on Tuesday expressed frustration that both the original decree and the modified version weren't effective. Some said the merger should be undone if the DOJ established continued violations. That from The Hill. One suggested reform today raised by several senators making event tickets non-transferable and therefore unattractive to those looking to buy and to simply resell for a profit. Here's Senator John Kennedy, Republican from Louisiana, questioning the entire panel, along with Joe Berktold. There's musician Clyde Lawrence, Catherine Bradish from the American Antitrust Institute, Sal Nuzzo is a vice president at the James Madison Institute, Jerry Michelson is with Jam Portion uh, Promotions, CEO and President, and Jack Grosinger with SeatGeek, its CEO. Here's Senator Kennedy. What if we adopt a rule that said uh, tickets to a Taylor Swift concert or Mr. Lawrence's band's concert are non-transferable? Now you're gonna you're not gonna have a problem with bots, okay? If you got a scalper trying to buy two thousand tickets, they don't want two thousand tickets. They want a profit, and it'll hold down ticket prices. Why don't we do that? Don't everybody jump in at once. I mean. I think whether it was that or um, only transferable at face value, I'm not an expert on the secondary ticketing market. So all I can tell you is that from the artist perspective, we would not make a dollar less if yeah, that were Mr. Lawrence, if you care about the consumer, and I, I hear you say that you do, uh, I'll tell you what the consumer is concerned about. The consumer is not concerned about how many lawyers can dance on the head of a pen and whether this is a antitrust violation or not, or the FTC. The consumer is concerned about the price. Yeah, so I'm, I'm saying I think... So I, would you support non-transferability or you can only transfer it at it, it face value? I mean, I think it's a really interesting question. I'm not an Thank expert you, on it. Well, I think non-transferability is making a judgment in lieu of what a customer would make. I, I understand what it means. Are you, would you support that? No. Okay, um, how about you, Mr. Nuso? I would respectfully not support uh, such a rule. Okay. How about you, Mr. Mickelson? Mickelson, but that's good. Um, yes, Senator, uh, good question. Um, totally support uh, non-transferability. Okay, uh, um, thank you. Totally. Uh, ne next, sir? We uh, respectfully think transferability is important for consumers. 
You think it's important? Is it important for consumers or for the middlemen? Like, let's say I'm, I'm going to a, a show with Jerry and I buy the tickets. I want to be able to send that ticket to Jerry so that we can go together. That's the exception rather than the rule. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's certainly, I think there's interesting ways we could use... A, a few people may, may have to eat the ticket. They get sick. They can't go. But, but uh, most people will think about that before they buy the ticket. Now, if you want to hold down prices, cut out the middlemen and the middle women. You want to cut out bots, make it non-transferable or transferable only at price, at, at face value. Couldn't a, couldn't a major artist, couldn't a Bruce Springsteen say, who, whose music I love, uh, couldn't he say, look, um, I've got market power. I'm going to set this price for the ticket. I'm going to set this price for the service fee, and it's going to be non-transferable. Couldn't an artist do that with market yeah, power? for sure. Yeah, it's, it, I think it's an interesting idea. And Problem some artists, solved. Some artists have done that. Problem solved. For sure. How about that, Mr. Burkholt? Yes, Senator. We would fully support an artist's right to make their shows non-transferable. Do you support non-transferability or not? We would support non-transferability, yes. Well, then why isn't a big part of the problem just solved? Okay? If you care about the consumer, you're going to hold the price down. You're going to cut out the middleman. Now, we still have the problem of some of your colleagues say you're making too much money. Some of them say, I hear them say, you're making too much money and we want some of it. I hear others saying, um, um, you're making too much money and that's hurting the consumer because those fees get passed on. If you care about the consumer, cap the price. Cut out the bots. Cut out the middle people. And give the, if you really care about the consumer, give the consumer a break. Not every kid can afford whatever it is, $500 to go see Taylor Swift. And I'd like to see Ms. Swift or Mr. Springsteen or some of the other major artists step up and say, you know what? We're going to support non-transferability. And we're going to cap the fees that are added on here. And we're going to make sure that the artist has paid a fair price. Everybody else can make a profit, but you can't make an obscene profit, especially the scalpers. If we do that, now we've done something. Senator John Kennedy, Republican from Louisiana, questioning the panel of witnesses at today's Judiciary Committee hearing titled That's the Ticket, Promoting Competition and Protecting Consumers in Live Entertainment. Those witnesses, including the head of Live Nation and the CEO of SeatGeek. C-SPAN cameras covered the hearing in its entirety. You can find the video and either rewatch or re-listen for free at our video library at cspan.org. President Joe Biden meeting today with Democratic congressional leadership at the White House it included the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and the House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries and their immediate deputies, the Senate Majority Whip Dick Durbin and House Minority Whip Catherine Clark. Among the topics, raising the federal debt limit from the current $31.4 trillion. Treasury Department saying today it's taken another so-called extraordinary measure, an emergency step, prevent the U.S. from defaulting on its borrowing limit. 
and that step is suspending full funding of a federal retirement program. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen saying these workarounds will work until about June. Some members of the new Republican House majority pushing to tie spending cuts to any increase in the borrowing limit. President Biden speaking to reporters before the meeting got started. I'm excited. We've got a strong group of leaders here. New start in a new Congress, and uh, I'm excited about the leadership we have here on the Democratic side. We, we got a lot done in the last couple of years, and we got a lot more to do, a lot more to finish, what we've already done. And uh, we've already made some real progress on the economy, yeah. on inflation, and a number of other things. Foreign policy is we've united the West in a way that hadn't been in a while, including bringing in Japan and other uh, Asian countries is invested in Ukraine's future. And uh, Americans are starting to feel uh, the effects of some of the laws we passed. And we have, and they're only now going to be going into effect. Like I said, the press has heard me say this before, we're in a situation where we promise folks on Medicare that our insulin was going to go from about 400 bucks a month to 35 bucks a month, but it was a promise. Well, guess what? As of January 1, it's reality. And, it's, right. and people are, are feeling the effects of it. There's so much more of that out there. And we're going to discuss how, uh, how we can continue to build on the progress, ultimately lowering the cost uh, for uh, middle-class and working-class families. You know, uh, we, uh, and we've talked a lot about this around the table, the folks here, that uh, I decided this time out, I think you all were in the same boat, I want the wealthy to continue to be able to do well, but look, I'm tired of trickle-down economics. I want to build this economy from the bottom up and the middle out. When that happens, poor folks have a shot, middle class does well, and the wealthy never get hurt. They're doing just fine. And so we also want to talk about uh, uh, the extreme Republican economic plans. Uh, apparently, they're generally serious about uh, cutting Social Security, cutting Medicare, and uh, I love their 30% sales tax. Um, that really, I, I, we want to talk a lot about that. Um, but look, I have no intention of letting the Republicans wreck our economy, nor does anybody around this table, in my view. And again, we're going to speak about continuing our support for Ukraine. And uh, it's an idea that has bipartisan support, like some of what we passed had bipartisan support. And uh, so we're going to speak about nominations going forward quickly. Uh, and uh, also, finally, our hearts are with the people of California. They've been a rough, rough couple of days. I just got back from spending time with Gavin Newsom on the floods and the devastation that occurred. And then on top of that, you see what's happened in California and uh, what's happened to the Asian American community. It's been devastating. This, the, uh, the vice president's going to be going out. I've been talking with Gavin Newsom and Judy Chu and Anna Eshu and Hilda Solis, uh, and we're working out uh, a number of things that we can and are going to be doing. So uh, the bottom line here is that we got a lot to talk about. And yesterday, uh, uh, my buddy Diane Feinstein introduced her Senate uh, uh, um, weapon, assault weapons ban. I am asking you all to send that to my desk as quickly as you can. It's really needed badly. And. Uh, all of us are focused on working together to get things done. There's a lot of us to discuss, and having said that, uh, I thank the press for being here, and we'll talk to you later. All right, thank you.
At the White House, President Biden, at the start of his meeting with congressional Democratic leaders, not answering the reporters' questions. On Capitol Hill, the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky, speaking with reporters about raising the debt ceiling and the requirement from some House Republicans to tie it to spending cuts. I know the big question on your mind is the notification by the Secretary of the Treasury of the need to raise uh, the debt ceiling. This is the beginning of the discussion that always occurs in the past, uh, probably leading to some decision this summer. And you're probably wondering what role, if any, the Senate would play in this. Uh, As some of you recall, I've been through a few of these debt ceiling situations. The one that seems to stand out the most was in 2011 when I negotiated with then-Vice President Joe Biden the Budget Control Act in conjunction with raising the debt ceiling. It actually worked. It reduced government spending for two years in a row for the first time since right after the Korean War. However, over the years, most of us on our side felt it was squeezing defense unrealistically. Democrats felt the same way on the domestic side, and we gradually pulled away from us. But if you were genuinely interested in cutting spending, it actually worked. At that time, the federal deficit, uh, the federal debt was about $12 trillion. It's now $31 trillion. In the course of the last Congress, the Democrats, without a single Republican vote, racked up another $2.7 trillion on top of what had happened during the pandemic. So here's where I think we are. I can't imagine any kind of debt ceiling measure that could pass the Senate would also pass the House. So even though the debt ceiling could originate in either the House or the Senate, in this current situation, the debt ceiling fix, if there is one, or how it's to be dealt with, will have to come out of the House. So I think it's entirely reasonable for the new Speaker and his team to put spending reduction on the table. I wish him well in talking to the President. Uh, That's where a solution lies. Again, at the risk of repeating myself, I can't imagine any debt ceiling provision passed out of the Senate with 60 votes could actually pass this particular House. So I think the final solution to this particular episode lies between Speaker McCarthy and the President. The Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky, speaking with reporters on Capitol Hill. At a separate news conference, the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, before he went to the White House for that meeting with President Biden, talking about linking the debt ceiling increase to any federal spending reductions. We're now witnessing the House GOP recklessly flirt with default. Listen, it's clear. Default would be a catastrophe for American working families. It's not an abstract issue. It's going to affect every American family severely and adversely. 
and playing brinksmanship, taking hostages, is being risky and not caring about average people. So let's um, look at some of it. Um, if, the, if the MAGA GOP stops paying our nation's bills, Americans pay the price. Political brinksmanship would be a massive hit to local economies, American families, nothing less than an economic crisis. Here's what would happen. For instance, interest rates would go way up. If you have a home loan, the average person could pay tens of thousands of dollars more on their mortgage if they have a variable rate mortgage. It would hurt Social Security dramatically, hurt Medicare. The only people who will pay the price is partisan politics. Home values will go down, because when mortgage interest rates go up, home values go down. People have less money to buy a home because they're putting a lot into the mortgage. The Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer at a news conference today. Former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, Republican from Georgia when he served, was asked today about current House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, and how Kevin McCarthy should work with President Joe Biden when it comes to raising the federal debt limit and other issues. Speaker Gingrich was interviewed by The Washington Post, and in his answer, he referred to his own experience when he was Speaker working with a Democratic President, Bill Clinton, in the 1990s. Right after I was became Speaker, I gave a uh, speech at Heritage. This was literally right after the election, the Friday after the election. And I said, uh, I will cooperate, but I will not compromise. And I think that's the position that Speaker McCarthy should take. Uh, he, should, he should negotiate directly with uh, President Biden and no one else. I've negotiated directly with President Clinton. I didn't negotiate with anybody else. Uh, he should be very pleasant, very calm. When it's possible, we should cooperate. But we should not compromise any of our core values. And we should accept that tension is inevitable when you have a hard left president surrounded by hard left advisors doing things that we regard as crazy. And when you understand that they have the same attitude towards us, well, you're not going to go to a tea party and suddenly be friends. But you can get a lot of work done. Uh, Clinton and I met 35 days in order to get to a balanced budget. Uh, and it was tough, It was, it was, was, but it was pleasant. I don't know that Biden can be pleasant the way Bill could, but Bill Clinton was actually a very pleasant guy to deal with. Uh, and you could, you, you know, you couldn't trust him very much, but he was, uh, he would sit in the room, we'd have good conversations, we'd work our way through issues, uh, and we got a lot done together. If you go back and look at how much we got done in four years, it was pretty amazing. Uh, and it's because we, we both understood a key thing. Under our constitution, if he didn't sign it, it wasn't going to become law. And if we didn't pass it, he didn't have anything to sign. And so we had a mutual vested interest, if you were serious about the country, in figuring out what we could agree on, not what we we're going to fight on. And we tried to keep the two separate. And if you were going to advise the Speaker McCarthy about where to look for room to do that with Joe Biden, where would you urge him to look? Immigration, well, I, foreign affairs, I'm just, what, what, what comes to mind? Look, you know the I mean, landscape I, as well as anyone. I, I think, first of all, you, you've got to start with, you know, we, we tried to practice listen, learn, help, and lead in that order. Uh, and we tried to build a box, and, and the box would be one side was what I had to have, one side was what he had to have, one side was what I couldn't have, and one side was what he couldn't have. And in the middle, there was something you could work on. So I would say, first of all, is Biden willing to at least sit down with McCarthy and spend hours talking through creating that kind of a box? Where can they, you know, as I said a while ago, why would Biden say, 
no negotiation of any kind on the debt ceiling, other than as a negotiating ploy. But if he really means that as a policy, uh, he is going to force a crisis because he can't get a clean debt ceiling out of the House. I don't think it's possible. Newt Gingrich, former House Speaker, Republican from Georgia when he served, interviewed today virtually by Washington Post opinions editor-at-large Michael Duffy. On Wall Street, the Dow up 104, Nasdaq down 30, S&P down 2. A story at CNBC, the U.S. Justice Department on Tuesday filed its second antitrust lawsuit against Google in just over two years. It's the latest sign that the U.S. government is not backing down from cases against tech firms, even in light of a mixed record in court on antitrust suits. This lawsuit, which is focused on Google's online advertising business and seeks to make Google divest parts of the business, is the first against the company filed under the Biden administration. That from CNBC. Attorney General Merrick Garland making the announcement at a news conference. We alleged that Google has used anti-competitive, exclusionary, and unlawful conduct to eliminate or severely diminish any threat to its dominance over digital advertising technologies. These technologies, which are known as ad tech, automate advertising sales by website publishers to online advertisers. When an internet user opens a web page that has ad space to sell, ad tech tools almost instantly match the website publisher with an advertiser looking to promote its products or services in the website to the website's user. This product and process typically involves the use of an automated advertising exchange. This exchange runs a high-speed auction designed to identify the best match between a publisher selling internet ad space and advertisers looking to buy it. As alleged in our complaint, for 15 years, Google has pursued a course of anti-competitive conduct that has allowed it to halt the rise of rival technologies, manipulate auction mechanics to insulate itself from competition, and force advertisers and publishers to use its tools. Attorney General Merrick Garland at a Justice Department news conference. More from the CNBC article, Google's advertising business generated $54.5 billion in the quarter ended September 30th from search, YouTube, Google network ads, and other advertising. And that Google also faces three other antitrust lawsuits from large groups of state attorneys general, including one focused on its advertising business led by Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. Washington Today continues in a moment. Welcome back to Washington Today, available as a podcast on the free C-SPAN Now mobile app and wherever you get your podcasts. President Biden again calling on Congress to pass a bill banning assault weapons. This after the latest mass shooting in California, seven Chinese and Latino farm workers killed in Half Moon Bay. And that comes just days after 11 people were killed at a dance hall frequented by older Asian Americans celebrating the Lunar New Year in Monterey Bay. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre with this statement at the start of her news conference today. We have mourned lives lost in mass shootings after mass shootings. The flags at the White House were already at half-mast in honor of those murdered in Monterey Park when we learned of the shooting in Half Moon Bay. President Biden, like most Americans, believes that this is an urgent issue. That too many of our neighbors, colleagues, kids are losing their lives to gun violence. 
Over the last two decades, more school-aged children have died from guns than on-duty police officer and active duty military combined. And we know what the policy solutions are. We know how we can address this. In fact, last night, Senator Feinstein, along, alongside Senators Murphy, Blumenthal, and others, reintroduced a federal assault weapons, weapons and high-capacity magazine ban and legislation that would raise the minimum purchase age for assault weapons to 21. The last time we had an assault weapons ban on the books, thanks to the President and Senator Feinstein's leadership, mass shootings actually went down. After Republicans let it expire, mass shootings tripled, and that's just a fact. As you all know, President Biden has taken historic executive action to reduce gun violence, and last summer he signed the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, the first significant piece of gun safety legislation in nearly 30 years. But he, but he continues to believe, and these tragic events continue to show us, there is more to be done to keep our homes, schools, and communities safe. The President and the First Lady are thinking of those killed and injured in these latest shootings across America, but more importantly, he's urging both chambers of Congress to act quickly and deliver this assault, bans, uh, assault weapons ban to his desk and take additional action to keep American communities, schools, workplace, and homes safe. White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre, part of her opening statement at her news conference today at the White House. Up on Capitol Hill, a new member of Congress, Rich McCormick, Republican from Georgia, speaking on the House floor about a new Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives gun regulation that was published in just the past couple of weeks. Mr. Speaker, I rise today in defense of the Second Amendment which is once again under attack by the unelected federal bureaucrats in Washington. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives is seeking to reclassify firearms with pistol braces as short-barreled rifles, a classification which threatens to make criminals of tens of millions of law-abiding Americans who've already purchased these. The extra red tape fees and registrations that the ATF wants to require an unnecessary punishment for shooting enthusiasts who purchased perfectly legal accessories to their legal firearms. This follows a long pattern we have seen for decades in Washington anti-gun, unconstitutional policies which could never make it through Congress as a law that is imposed upon the public through rulemaking process. Americans are tired of unelected federal agencies spending their tax dollars attacking and curtailing the constitutional rights of law-abiding citizens. With that, I yield my time. Congressman Rich McCormick, Republican from Georgia on the House floor, a CNN article explains that the new regulations would subject pistol-stabilizing braces to additional regulations, including higher taxes, longer waiting periods, and registration. Another CNN article today, the Biden administration finalizing plans to send U.S.-made Abrams tanks to Ukraine and could make an announcement as soon as this week, according to three U.S. officials familiar with the deliberations. Article continues, the timing around the actual delivery of the tanks is still unclear and it normally takes several months to train troops to use the tanks effectively, officials said. Announcement about the tanks could be part of an attempt to break a diplomatic logjam with Germany which indicated to the U.S. last week that it would not send its Leopard tanks to Ukraine, 
unless the U.S. also agreed to send the M1 Abrams tanks. Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican from South Carolina, just returning from Ukraine to Washington, D.C. He met with Ukrainian leadership there and today at a news conference urging Germany to send the Leopards and the U.S. to send those Abrams. I am more optimistic today than any time uh, in recent memory about military assistance going into Ukraine in the form of tanks. Uh, I've had discussions with our German allies. This is a moment for Germany to shine. The spotlight is on Germany, unlike any time really since World War II. They have a chance to be a force for good. The German Leopard tank uh, can be outcome determinative on the battlefield. And I'm hoping that Germany will understand that defeating Putin and Ukraine is in Germany's national security interest. He will keep going if he's not stopped. If, don't believe me, listen to him. If he gets away with this, world order as we know it becomes a joke. Boundaries mean nothing. If he's not prosecuted or those under his command are not prosecuted for blatant war crimes, then everything we said after World War II just becomes hollow rhetoric. Wouldn't it be embarrassing for the free world to gather in Munich in the middle of February talking about world order and uh, freedom and the rule of law and recognizing sovereign nations' right to exist if it, by that time we had not provided the tanks that Ukraine desperately needs? So I'm hoping that the Department of Defense here in America will reassess their position. I understand the Abrams is not the best fit. I understand the technical problems associated with sending the Abrams. But what we're urging is to lead by example. The British sent, I think, 14 Challenger tanks, and that has set a precedent that I hope we will follow. And as to our German allies, the sooner you can make this decision, the better off for the world. The day that Berlin signs off on Poland and other nations sending the Leopard tank, the day that the German government says we will also send tanks, is a day closer to liberating Ukraine and ending this nightmare. Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican from South Carolina at a news conference today on Capitol Hill, joined by two Democratic senators who recently joined him on a visit to Ukraine, a CODEL or congressional delegation, Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut and Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island. An article from Euronews, Germany, the producer of the Leopard tanks, has been hesitant to become involved in the conflict over fears that sending equipment to Ukraine could exacerbate tensions with Russia and that NATO chief Jan Stoltenberg in a press conference alongside the German defense minister said he was confident a decision would be made soon on sending the German-made tanks to the embattled country. Here is Jan Stoltenberg. He was also asked about how disagreement on this issue is playing out in public. The most important thing is that uh, Chancellor Scholz uh, and also Minister Petelius, they're absolutely right when they point out the significant contributions uh, Germany has delivered and continue to deliver to Ukraine. That's actually substance that matters and makes a difference on the battlefield every day. The fact that Germany is the, uh, uh, one of the allies that are providing the most support when it comes to artillery, ammunition, uh, advanced air defense systems, the Gepards, the RST, uh, and, uh, and also now uh, heavy infantry fighting vehicles, the Martyrs. These are, uh, uh, these are uh, important armored capabilities that significantly strengthen the uh, combat capability of uh, Ukraine. And therefore, I agree uh, with, uh, with the Chancellor and also the Minister that actually we need to remember and recognize uh, these significant German uh, contributions. 
Then other allies are providing similar capabilities, air defenses, uh, uh, armored vehicles, infantry fighting vehicles, and some allies also providing uh, battle tanks. Then we have a discussion uh, on, uh, on uh, uh, the Leopards. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's a kind of natural part of uh, an evolving uh, uh, policy when it comes to exactly what kind of capabilities uh, we should deliver to uh, Ukraine. And I think it's important also to protect the space uh, for confidential consultations among allies. Uh, that's part of being an alliance of 30 allies. And actually, we're also working with a lot of partners, as we did in Rammstein, uh, to consult, uh, to assess, and then uh, uh, to make uh, decisions in close consultation. Uh, and also, uh, I welcome, of course, the message from the minister that uh, there will be a conclusion soon, because time matters. And big announcements were made last week, uh, and, and there will be new announcements uh, as we move uh, forward uh, as an alliance. NATO Secretary General Jan Stoltenberg at a news conference in Brussels, Belgium, at NATO headquarters with the German defense minister. A few more headlines about the war. Just from BBC News, several senior Ukrainian officials have resigned as President Volodymyr Zelensky begins a shakeup of personnel across his government. A top advisor for deputy ministers and five regional governors left their posts on Tuesday. Their departures come as Ukraine launches a broad anti-corruption drive. Recently, authorities have seen bribery claims, reports of officials buying food at inflated prices, and one figure accused of living a lavish lifestyle. That from BBC News. And New York Times tweeting today, The doomsday clock is closer to midnight than it has ever been. After the bulletin of the atomic scientists set it at 90 seconds to midnight on Tuesday, citing the war in Ukraine as well as climate change, online disinformation, and other threats. Former U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security Jay Johnson had his official portrait unveiled today at Homeland Security Department headquarters in Washington, D.C. Jay Johnson was secretary from December 2013 to January 2017 under former President Obama. During the ceremony, he told a couple of stories about what life has been like since he left government service. At Reagan National, I was headed from Reagan National to a family reunion in Bristol, Virginia. You know, to go from one place in Virginia to another place in Virginia, you've got to go through Atlanta. But um, I was on my way to Bristol, Virginia, three different airplanes, and I'm in the TSA line, the TSA line, you all know TSA here, right? Uh, I was in the TSA line, minding my own business, and all of a sudden, I hear this voice of God out of nowhere. Hi, I'm Jay Johnson, Secretary of Homeland Security. If you see something, say something. It was, this is five years after I left off my video on the TSA screen. And somebody, I guess, forgot, took the wrong video out of the drawer that day, you know, one bald guy for another. And um, the people, the other people in the line were, And I couldn't help it. I got, to the, I got to the checkpoint, and the TSA officer, lower your mask, please. And I said, look behind you. <laughs> Former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson at his official portrait unveiling today in Washington, D.C. He's one of only seven Senate-confirmed Homeland Security Secretaries since the department was created 20 years ago. Thanks for listening to Washington Today. Sign up for C-SPAN's evening newsletter, Word for Word. To get the stories Washington is talking about, sent to your inbox every day. 
Subscribe at c-span.org forward slash connect. Have a good night. Thank you.